Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from Salt Lake City, Utah, our little town outside. You're not quite in Salt Lake, are you, Bob? No, it's uh, about an hour south, near the cows. Okay, he's in a town an hour south. And Bob came to me by way of basically his PR company, but his book is called Built for Freedom. And the subtitle is Adventures Through Stress, Anxiety, Depression, Addiction, Trauma, Pain, and Our Body's Innate Ability to Leave Them All Behind. I think the last words of that subtitle are really the key. How do we leave them all behind, right? Um, Right. So welcome to Inside Personal Growth, Bob. And I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you. Um, He has a website called thefreedomspecialist.com. Uh, you can go to thefreedomspecialist.com to learn more. He's the founder of that. It is a body-based approach to happiness, health, and well-being. He's also the author of the book that I just held up and the host of a podcast called Alive and Free. Uh, you can go there and check that out. You can get that through his site and all the other major channels and networks, Spotify and iTunes and so forth. As a transformational specialist, he aims to share his unique tools with the world to help him find happiness, health, and well-being on autopilot. That's the key. Um, Our subconscious mind has a lot of challenges in that area for us. Um, He went through 18 years of being trapped in addictive patterns, and he was on the brink of divorce, suicide, and sometimes inside Bob told him he was not quite time yet. So against the prevailing wisdom uh, that said these problems are permanent, Bob chose to create a way to permanently eliminate them from his life. Uh, His body-based, no-nonsense approach to freedom has helped thousands of people leave their struggles behind and find real freedom and happiness. In addition, Bob intense his intense power-packed in-person retreats, which we're going to talk about, Transformational coaching and online resources have supported people struggling with everything from chronic pain, anxiety, depression, PTSD, childhood wounds, addictions, OCD, and a host of other physical and mental problems. He's been doing this for the last 15 years. Uh, He's married, has children, and as I said, lives in Utah. Um, And you know, the the whole pain body thing is an interesting element. And I'm working with a doctor right now on adverse childhood experiences, you know, um, and that's Dr. Brian Allman. And he's creating an app right now because a lot of people don't know about it, but you do. Um, You know where all this pain comes from. Your book really built for freedom. Um, Give the listeners kind of a brief overview of what you mean by freedom. Uh, in the context of your work, because you do breath work, you get involved in all kinds of ways that you can help people release these pains that they have. 
Yeah, at first, I think I I thought like everybody else that freedom was to have all my problems go away, <laughs> which is a pretty common way of looking at it. So a lot of the people that I talked with at first were are sitting there looking at it going, hey, I've struggled with an addiction, or I've been struggling with depression for X amount of time, or I have this PTSD, and I want to be free of it, which means, hey, I want the life that I have, all the good parts, I just don't want the bad parts. And what I found was that wasn't a possibility. <laughs> that that the way I was living my life also produced all the negativity that would that came out of that life. So I had to kind of reassess what freedom was. And that made me have to go back in and challenge a lot of the prevailing wisdom around what I was actually dealing with. Because I didn't know. I just had accepted the 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 label of addict. I had accepted the label of depression, I had accepted some of these other things, my wife seriously considered me bipolar, uh, for a period of time. Where do uh, you where do you think those emanated from? I know we had a deep discussion because I do pre interviews yeah. for all these interviews, but uh, in childhood or in your spiritual practice, at one point, you were Mormon, um, yeah. not not and I'm not saying they created it. I'm nothing no, against no, no, it. No, no. I I was listening to a podcast show uh, called Something Street, uh, which is really interesting about Mormonism and what's happening and the the, mm. the church and all the young people today and how it's practiced and it's really kind of morphed. It's starting to morph, right? right. Uh, do you believe that some of these issues you had, obviously, you? pick them up where they were part of childhood upbringing and they were adverse childhood experiences, the addiction in particular things to try and relieve the pain. What, what is the story there? So, so that's, I mean, that's, I think that's a great question. I, I think everybody can say that everybody's been handed their childhood experiences. Right. Uh, we, uh, we can observe that some people take very similar childhood experiences and turn them into something profound and others take them and turn them into something that's really negative. My my father was in the military. We moved around a lot. My father and mother both did the best that they knew how, and they gave me what they considered uh, teachings and help with the best way that they knew how to live. And to this day, they're still living as faithful as they know how to that that type of doctrine and that type of teaching. Uh, and then, and my sisters as well. So there was nothing in in the teaching necessarily that inherently said oh you're gonna somehow end up down this road where you're manically depressed sometimes and you're up and down um there are a lot of members of the mormon faith that do experience these things there are a lot that don't experience these things so it was confusing to me because i thought when i was reading people like gabor mate and some of these others like that i had to have some childhood trauma but i couldn't pinpoint one and i'd say probably 40 percent of the people that come to me can't pinpoint a trauma either. What I can say is this, moving around so much meant I was constantly on the outside and felt like I didn't belong and had to be the guy that had to measure up or fit in with the friends. And that sort of drive to have to be this chameleon made me sort of un, uh, unfaithful to my own self, right? I didn't have some sense of identity that, was, that wasn't malleable to whatever the outside situation was. So I didn't really have some stable sense of who I was and what commonly felt like there was something wrong with me. I was defective and I didn't belong. I would say that the faith itself 
what I made of what, what I was taught. And I, I think that needs to be an important distinction. Every kid makes what they make out of what's handed to them. Right. What I made of it was that I needed to be perfect. And mm. that I needed to not just be in most uh, Christian faiths, it's sort of a pass fail kind of system. You know, there's, you go to heaven or you don't. Right. Uh, and in, right. Mormon faith, there, in the Mormon faith, there is like several tiers of heaven and only the top yeah. tier of the top tier, sort of the honor roll gets to kind of go back and live with God. And so I think I sort of internalized that as this need to be not perfect, not just perfect, but the best of the best at everything I did. And anytime I failed at that, uh, it felt like I, I had transgressed some kind of commandment. So I think I had a heightened sense of morality that made me really pour on the guilt and shame at every mistake. So did you, did you question the rituals in which you did every religion? And I'm going to say religion or faith has some type of ritual, yeah. right? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with rituals. I remember when I was a kid, uh, now I lay me down to sleep uh, for my soul, soul to keep, yeah. you know, and I, I'm sitting here as you're speaking, saying, hey, I kneeled at my bed with my hands like this and mm -hmm. said this prayer, but I never knew why I was saying it. Mm -hmm. I never knew the why behind it. It was just my parents said, say your prayers. Here's your prayer. I did it. And it mm -hmm. was like, okay, well, what am I doing this? Well, what am I <laughs> And <laughs> what am I doing this for? And so I look at the ritual in all these faiths and the spiritual, you know, we're sitting here right now with this, you know, new war between Israel and Palestine, and it's just crazy, yep. right? And you look mm -hmm. at the rituals. So what did you get from the ritual with inside the church that you think either made you feel safe or maybe you questioned? I honestly, it made me feel safe for a long time. So yeah. we did, I did prayer. I did scripture study. I, I was a missionary for, for that faith in Brazil for a couple of years. Uh, I think that's what really cemented the, the sort of moralistic view was spending two years preaching only that to a bunch of different people. And so for me, it felt like it was a hundred percent or nothing, but I remember being in Brazil and the church buildings felt like this sanctuary. They felt like yeah. this place that I was no longer going to be like confronted by people that didn't agree with my faith or didn't this or didn't that. And so members of the church became this like, oh, those are the only allies I can have. And then the rest of the world um, is going to try and take away my faith away and Satan's out to get me. And so I unconsciously, there was this deep celebration of this faith is the one. It is the only one. Um, and then there was also this sort of wariness of outside ideas, like a worry of contamination. And the funny thing about that is that that creates a, the very kind of tension, the very kind of pain, the very kind of stuff that I finally figured out how to, how to dissolve for people. It's almost the conundrum, isn't it, Bob? When yeah. you, you look at it, it's like, oh, I feel safe here, but this is really what's creating many of my psychological issues and dilemmas yeah. that I have. And, you know, your work is at the intersection of psychology and spirituality uh, in, in, a, in a big degree. Let's face it, when you start dealing with addictions and chronic pain and OCD and all these kind of things, they're emanating from someplace. How do these two domains come together to help people break free? You're saying breaking free uh, from limitations and achieve their desired outcomes, because it's like you've, you're building a new world for them. 
you know, you're opening their eyes to see the light of what's available. And sometimes when you do that, people like that area where they feel safe and comfortable over here. And it's very hard. It takes them a long time to say, well, yeah, I really want to break free from this. Yeah. Uh, I, I think part of that is the way that it's communicated. So in the beginning, psychology, spirituality, this sort of like intersecting place that made sense to me. But the more I looked at it, for me, freedom is no longer some set of circumstances. And it, and it isn't in the way, if you look at a normal person, when they feel free, it doesn't really have much to do with their circumstances, but the way that they feel inside their body. Right. So when I go, okay, cool. It's a state of being, a measurable state of being. How I feel is a measurable state of being. And there are certain things that get me there, which is why I say sometimes freedom is a skill, not a pill. It's this sort of muscle memory that I create, created in my system to default to that state on its own as rapidly as possible in any kind of adverse situation. So in the beginning, when I was talking about it, I had to challenge a lot of my sort of the narratives that I had made up. And I'll own that, that I made those up about that faith. Like, I won't say that they're inherent in that faith. I don't, I don't know what the originators meant. They're not around. I don't, I don't talk to them on the regular. (laughs) So, so, um, so I'll say that I made that up about them. And so I had to challenge my inner interpretation of that faith and my narrative about that faith, because it was producing a lot of pain on top of my narrative, just about myself, which was a bigger source of pain. What was the biggest, what was one of the, I know people are going to be very inquisitive about what's in this book. And I, I think, you know, you talk about breath work, you talk about martial arts, you talk about all these things that you've done, you've done. Mm -hmm. You're not telling everybody else they have to do that. You're saying there's a body of work out there that you can do to help you release. Now, I do know that breath work in particular has a tremendous benefit for people. And I know it is, it is at one of your focuses that you help people work, work with. To yes. get real uh, deep. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the first things we work with with people is giving them a way of creating that state of, it's like an effervescence. You know, you feel it in the body. It's, it's, it's not anything esoteric. It's not anything out of the, or, out of the box or, or out right. of the ordinary. It's a state. And so how do we create this state? Breathing is the fastest way outside of thoughts. Thoughts can change your chemistry all over the place. They do it all the time, but they're a little bit like squirrels and hard to catch. (laughs) So so breathing, if you do a consistent breathing practice, even for five, 10, 15 minutes, you'd be surprised how long the after effect of that goes, because you've done more than just introduce a thought. You've introduced a certain balance of chemistry into the system that it needs to cope with. Right. result of your body coping with these type of breathing practices is that you end up lowering your blood pH way faster than all of the people talking about alkalizing your food and alkalizing your water. Um, This thing really will lower your blood pH and it'll stay there for a period of time uh, and sometimes hours uh, at a stretch, just if you do it really well. So we teach them breathing that's some of it is rooted in Wim Hof style stuff. I so do you do, do you do cold, better. you do cold plunges too? Uh-huh. We do some cold okay. plunges as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also, go ahead. No, I'm just was asking, you're doing cold plunges as well. Yeah. 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 And, um, but then other forms of breathing that have been shown to regulate heart and cardiac rhythms, other forms of breathing that have been shown to increase production of BDNF and endocannabinoids and stuff like this. So the stuff that I choose to share with people 
I've tried a whole bunch of stuff, but I always wanted to come back to this sort of practical, what's just happening in the body? So that whether they're religious or not religious, whether they have one faith or another faith, they can come back to however I believe the human body showed up. This is my gift for this life. This Well, one- I think, I yeah. mean, one of the things you talked about was your own addiction, but I yeah. think that we all have different addictions, right? Or can have, I'm not saying we all have, but yeah. many of us do. Um, and I know for me, personally speaking, I had anxiety attacks for years mm-hmm. until I started meditating and did biofeedback and then did um, uh, uh, hypnosis, cool. right? And so, you know, but I couldn't tell you I think I had an idea of how those emanated, meaning the anxiety attacks, sure. um, because your heart starts to race, you feel like you're having a heart attack, you feel like you're in a closed room, you're, I mean, you deal with people all the time that have anxiety, that's one of the things that you work with. Yeah. But we we live in an always on pretty fast paced world these days, mm-hmm. um, with the kind of stuff that's around us, the instantaneous news, the social media, the whatever. When somebody comes to one of your workshops, what's it like? What are, you know, they're saying, hey, man, I got anxiety. I want this guy to help me. Yeah. Um, and I would assure the community is one of the best opportunities because you're speaking with other like-minded people there that have anxiety too. Yeah. Um, tell the listeners what that's all about because you have these retreats. Uh, you do one-on-one coaching. Yeah. Uh, you've got this website with the podcast. Speak about that a little bit. Sure. So the approach here is um, my aim is to give them this deep experiences that bypass the mind and force their body to learn a new trick, the new trick of freedom on autopilot or happiness on autopilot. And so my aim is to to take them through these experiences where they're, we got to, we got to address the mind a little bit, but the mind is built on the body. So they come we take away their phones so that they're not in this fast-paced society. <laughs> you know, So we give them a few days break on that one. That way they can be there and focus. And then I'm putting them through physical exercises, like the first day. Uh, not anything Olympic, but we'll challenge them with a push-up or two. We'll challenge them with it. And then as they're doing it, I'm having them pay attention to what thoughts start to arise when their body tenses in certain ways. And then if we get it to be just a little bit difficult, what other thoughts start to arise, they start to see within the first day, just how much all their thoughts and emotions are not separate things out there that are attacking them, but actually things that are created within from within based on the state of their body, how much air they're breathing, how much tension they have and all these other things. So they're starting to get on the first day, their own real data stream where they're looking at it going, oh my gosh, when I did this, these thoughts showed up. This I started comparing myself to other people. I started this, that, and the other. And then after that, we start breaking it down and going, okay, cool. We're going to take you through some experiences, some physical processes like uh, vocalizations, like different types of breathing. You do and, tapping work too? What was that? Tapping. Do you do that as well? I have done tapping in the past. I have found that, uh, I mean, we do some other things to ground people. I have found some other ways that are a little bit more, if if I could do everything I've ever done, (laughs) it would be a long retreat. (laughs) It would be a long retreat is right. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I think the the point is you're giving them tools in a toolbox 
that they yep. can draw upon. And when they leave, they can utilize these tools, you know, whether it's the, the breathing work, uh, whether it's cold plunges, whether it's movement work, it's meditation, it's it's all these things that we have at our fingertips, mm -hmm. but many of us choose not to use, but you're exposing them to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm exposing it to them to it in a way that stacks them one upon the next so that the cumulative effect is that their body gets cleaned up of years of what I call in the book, angustia. Angustia is a Latin term that I borrowed to try and get rid of all the baggage of all the mental health terms and everything else. Uh, it refers to a tight space. You know, it can be referred to something in the landscape that's like a narrow passage. Uh, it is the root of that word is the same as the root for angina that like you would get in the heart, like or or angst or anxiety. Uh, anything of that sort all come from that same root. And as I was looking at it, I was like, this is really what we're dealing with. Your, your chemistry changes when you put it under pressure. Just the weight of a dime is enough to start to rapidly uh, increase the multiplication of cells inside of the skin and other areas and stuff. And that's spread out over a lot of cells. So it's, it's very little pressure that it takes to change your internal chemistry. But and that so contraction it, mentality, that contraction mentality, and mm -hmm. I can speak with this, is yep. sometimes inherent with what you saw from your parents. Sure. Okay. I sure. I grew up in a household where my mother would contract and my father would expand. Mm -hmm. So when a problem came along, you're talking about that. Uh, and, and so whose uh, set of reality did you bring forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, I know when people deal in tough times, whether they're having financial difficulties, whether they're having dealing with their marriage, whether they're having dealings with kids, mm -hmm. many of them want to contract. They want to start putting restrictions around things or changing things or whatever, and not expansion. Speak about that, because I love the term that you use to kind of pull it all together. Yeah. So this contraction, if you look at any reaction, like I'm moving my hand right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. It takes contraction of muscles. Mm -hmm. so not mm -hmm. all contractions are negative inherently, but if they become right. a habit, like a habitual way of responding to an outside environment, they start to produce, your body doesn't want to have to create a new brain pathway every time. So it'll create shortcuts. And pretty soon they produce a habitual way of going through the world. And built on top of that, all that data about how the body is contracted goes to the brain and it produces an experience. And there's your thoughts and there's your emotions coming from that. And there's your anxiety. And there's your anxiety. <laughs> so yeah. I, was, I, I was like, look, everything on the outside world is coming to me through all of these external senses, my, my vision, my smell, my sight, my sound, all that stuff. And it's coming through the filter of my own body. So if my body is in a state that is suboptimal, it doesn't matter how, how beautiful the day is. I will experience that through the filter of my own angst, my own angustia. And in that place, I will produce an experience of negativity. So I was like, what if I could train my body to have an instinct to be in a really beautiful space so that no matter what happens on the outside, it comes through the filter of this beautiful sensation, this beautiful feeling. And then I can operate at my peak since most of the science is going to indicate that the happier, happier you are, the stronger physically you'll be, the more stamina you'll have, the more creativity, the more connection to the outside world, all that stuff will happen. So when, we'll, when I'm taking them through this stuff at the retreats, 
I'm putting them through, I'm having them move in ways they're not used to moving, not because those ways are better than other ways, but because they're different. And because the movement is different and the tension is different, their brain is now going, this is new information. I thought the world was one way and suddenly I'm being given this option over here. And then I take them through some deep breathwork experiences that force them to use, to be in a state that is very different than normal when they're thinking about their past. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking them through these psychological clearing techniques, but using a totally different body state to the point where their brain can't produce the same experience out of it. And so then, question is, ahead. is it Bob sustainable? Because, you know, there's practices of meditation. There's practices of breath work. There's practice. Practice means people are constantly doing it. Mm-hmm. And you, I know you don't come to a retreat and go to one retreat and change. Um, you have to have the desire internally to change. And inside the subconscious, you've had a program that's kind of been stuck in there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to mean you're trying to reprogram it. It means you're trying to use body work to get people to get to a new state of being, meaning who they are and who they see themselves as, to kind of live in harmony with that. And that brings me to this question around, you know, the struggle, the self-sabotage, the limiting beliefs, our mental state, our psychological state. Um, What are some of the practical strategies or exercises people can take from the book or the listeners might get from you to identify and overcome what they are seeing is a roadblock? It's a mental roadblock. I know people know that. They don't always know how to overcome it. I believe your work with body work is probably the best way to actually make a shift. But then I go back to my question. I know I've done this myself because this show has been on the air for 17 years, interviewing people like yourself. It's not always sustainable. How do you help people create sustainability of this? Yeah, that was my question. I wanted sustainability for myself. Um, I didn't want the kind of freedom that I needed to, to uphold and maintain with me, with meetings my whole life. I right. felt like I had something inside me as a possibility that I wanted to explore for this life. And I didn't want to have most my energy sitting there going like, okay, control, maintain, all the other stuff. So the question really was, can I produce something sustainable? And the answer has come... Yes, something sustainable that doesn't require so much mental focus uh, at all to maintain. If you think about what I'm trying to produce is this sort of like cellular realization that the way that I used to think about life isn't real. And the minute my body catches that is the moment that it, it just gives up its loyalty to that way of being. And there might be some residual things. Definitely people need to live in a way that produces what they want. But if you think about like, if you've lost your keys, ever lost your keys, you're running around the house, maybe blaming the wife and kids because somebody took your keys. And then all of a sudden you realize, <laughs> oh, they're in your pocket, but they just kind of had slid around the side of your leg. So you didn't feel them when you were padding. That moment, you were all worked up. And then all of a sudden, you you something in your perception, something physical and tangible and real showed up in your life and gave you irrefutable evidence that the way you saw the world was wrong. And that moment 
all of the anxiety, all you might've been embarrassed a little bit, but all the other stuff went away. All that old feeling, no matter how worked up you got and how long you were chasing the keys, it all evaporated instantly. In the same vein, I spent years as a kid believing in Jesus. I mean, I mean, not Jesus, Santa Claus. Okay. <clears throat> and, and I, I wrote letters to Santa Claus. I was worried about whether I was going to be seen as the good kid from Santa Claus. Uh, all this kind of stuff happened. And then the minute that I realized there, that Santa Claus was really a mom and dad, I was a little disappointed. But I'm not in danger of ever going back to writing Santa Claus letters. There, that, it would take a lot <laughs> to get me to that space again. The, the way that people see themselves is also a fib. It's a myth. It is an incomplete view of themselves based on a few myopically filtered out events in their life. And when I can get them to see and realize, holy cow, that isn't not actually who I am. There isn't a threat of them going back ever. It literally goes away for a long time. Then mm -hmm. the skill, the maintenance, all of the upkeep and the sustainability isn't about Oh, I got to make sure that I keep doing affirmations and reminding myself that I'm not that because they've already seen through the lie. The skill and the maintenance is who am I like, what, how do I want to live and what can I entertain myself that just starts to produce that naturally? So it's about creation. It's about shifting the focus from fighting something off to living in such a way that there's simply the other things won't show up anymore and you're just producing well, so so you're creating a huge awareness for these people, many of them for the first time, yeah. about how they're living their lives and how they can live their life differently without yes. the pain, without the anxiety, without the OCD, without the addiction. You know, and I guess maybe that goes back to the basic, simplest premise, which is around we're 100% responsible for ourselves. No one else is going to make us happy. Unless we make ourselves happy, uh, and you can't expect that. How can these individuals take this ownership of their lives and start building that freedom around that premise? That's a great question. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to take, to take full ownership of of who you are and 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 what you. Uh, what you've done because it's really easy it was was for me really easy to blame other people mm -hmm. to um, blame my parents to blame the religion to blame my wife right. for not right. wanting things and and it, it almost is like well of course they're the reason that i'm this way <laughs> and, and for me to step back and go no they contributed to my circumstances but if i were unconscious when that happened I wouldn't have, I would have just been lying there asleep. I wouldn't have had any of these emotions or any of these feelings or any of these thoughts. So something about my consciousness, something about what I made of that was the thing that did. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people because they don't want to say, well, I'm the one that has turned, like in the book, I, I, I refer to the story of Quincy. Um, if you remember, she was, as a young girl, she was raped by uh, somebody and um, she became this sort of like target and had she had grown up with her parents, like with some sort of like perfectionist demand. She had believed that her her mom's state of being was always her fault. So she was constantly trying to to like live up to that and make sure her mom was happy, thought that, that was her job on the planet. And then all of a sudden she she thought like she was asleep in her 
in her friend's bedroom. They were at a sleepover and her friend's older brother walks in the room in the middle of the night, sort of shakes her awake, does the deed. And in her mind, she thought, oh, I did that. Like I said, yes, I didn't fight back. You know, a 14 year old girl, like in the middle of the night or 12 and not able to fight back, not even aware of what's going on, but she blamed herself for it. And for the next 20 years of her life, struggled so much, developed yeah. massive anxieties, huge gut pains, a massive negative view of herself, so much that she actually forgot who she was and had blotted out 20 years of her life memories until she showed up at a retreat and we're taking her through all of this stuff. And and then this comes up, we're doing deep body work, deep tissue work to open up these like contractive states. It releases some of this chemistry. She starts having these flood of memories. And then she does some of the things we teach her about how to handle these memories. And all of a sudden within like 10, 15 minutes, she's like laughing on the ground hysterically, <laughs> realizing, yes, the guy raped her. That is true. But everything she made of that is everything she made of that. And I, I once saw a meme that was like, did you have a bad day or did you have a bad five minutes that you milked for a whole day? Mm -hmm. And that's, I lived that way. And to realize that, that I was responsible for what I made of that. I might not have been responsible for everything else that happened. Yeah, I... But I made it I, that. that was a hard pill. Well, to that's, so free. I think that's a great success story because you were able to, in a few days, mm -hmm. move this person from this deep state of, hey, I did it, right, to releasing yeah. themselves from that. And then we, we speak about the MSU, making stuff up, the beginning to believe what we yeah. made up. And I yeah, remember By Byron Katie always saying, is it true? Is it really true? Right? Yeah. In other words, so, so what you're doing in these retreats is you're getting people to really ask that story. Is mm -hmm. it true? No, is it really true? It's the stuff I made up, you know, and then, and now I was believing it. It became a very strong belief. So for you, for some people, like in the, the spiritual realm or religions, uh, it becomes a knowing. You know, I don't say that people in any kind of spirituality get brainwashed. I say they allow themselves to go down a path um, mm -hmm. and not always because of weakness, but because they were comforted. And that's right. what they wanted. That's what they needed. Right. You know, and so you're working with a diverse range of clients from all over the place and students. Uh, that success story that you just told out of the book. And for my listeners, here's the book. Yeah. We're going to put a link to Amazon. Go and get this book. Um, what Do you have another success story that our listeners could relate to? Just one really quick one. Yeah. Um, a simple one. Maybe one not as challenging as that one. That, that one was good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've had a lot of people come from all, all kinds of different, all, all kinds of different places and, and spots in life. Um, but I mean, I can think of two off the top of my head. Well, the, one is Lee. Lee's in the book. Uh, first, he's in the first chapter. And one is a guy from this last retreat last week that I just ran. Um, Lee, Lee was born into a family who, you know, lots of promiscuity by the mom and, um, he was abused sexually, physically, emotionally for her, by, by her for 16 years before he got kicked out of the house. She would quote scripture at him 
in case he ever re resisted saying you need to honor your, your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth and all of that other stuff. So she really was like using every tool in the, in the book. He went through 40 years of counseling after that, trying to kind of process this thing. He certified in trauma relief. He certified in suicide, suicide prevention, narrative theory, all of these other things, was helping people, working in Christian ministries to help people out, and ended up speaking at a national level to thousands and thousands of people about child sexual abuse and what it does to a person and whatnot. And nowhere in those 40 years was there given any sense that this is something that you can get over. Uh, everybody just sort of like rallied around each other as survivors. For me, I had listened to this kind of talk for a long time and I was fed up with it. I was like, you are more than a survivor. You are a, you are a huge human possibility on this planet. And for you to identify as a survivor and for that to be the most positive way that you see yourself feels like such a downgrade to what you really are. And so that's why we started running retreats for women as well, because there were so many women that are survivors and I wanted to give them more. Lee mm -hmm. shows up. The first two days of the retreat, we're, it's stuff is coming up, stuff that he suppressed, stuff that he talked himself off of. It's all this stuff is coming up. And then in the middle of it, like second of the second or third day, he comes up and he's just angry, angry about his past, angry about everything he went through, angry that I'm sitting here telling him this stuff can be gone in like a day or two. And he's like, yeah. I've spent 40 years. And none of us like to be like wrong like that. I've spent 40 years. You mean I wasted my time? No, I think your viewpoint is really good. He chose to go down a path. So I took him outside. You, you'll read it in the book. I mean, he's throwing stumps. I'm having him do things. And then in the middle of that, I physically put him into a position that matches what he's been going through. And all of a sudden he's like, not getting it. I'm like, you realize you're doing the same thing with this the stump that you're doing in your life. And he's like, what? And I was like, look, you just put it down. This is what you're doing. And then he's just actually taking actions in physical life with this stupid exercise that he was doing his whole life. And something about that started to jar him loose of like, you mean I can just put it down? Within two days from that, everything's gone. He goes home and his blood pressure normalizes. His his, he drops 30 pounds within the first few months without changing anything in his life. His diet changes, all his, all these other factors. It's been like three years now, uh, three years now since he's gone. He's no longer had, he no longer has sleep apnea. Like um, his, he's gotten his, his eyesight has changed, his, his mentality, no depressive swings coming up in the middle of, of the night. All these things that used to happen on the regular changed because we just gave him that one little kick to let go of all the tension that he was holding where he was waiting for people to disappoint him his whole life. And all of a sudden he shows up realizing like life is so much bigger than waiting for people to disappoint me. And he hears birds sounds in a totally different way. All of this stuff happens within a few days time because we addressed the root of what he, his brain makes his experience out of, which is his body state. And when you challenge that, and push it open and help it to like release years and years of pent up tension. It does not take long for the thing to change. I've watched it over and over and over again. Well, they say body, mind, and spirit, you know, and the reality yeah. is I think frequently people are, are ignoring that one element. We know that people along the, the trajectory of their life come in with, you know, certain ailments or challenges or whatever it might be. And what you're just saying, that was a great example. The guy lost 30 pounds. Uh, he released his depression, right? 
He's living a life and you did it through a physical exercise that made him aware of what he was doing to himself that he didn't realize and wouldn't maybe have realized if he had tried to do it any other way. He wasn't going to get it through psychologists, right? right. So that, that's, really, that's really the key is that, you know, he had this opportunity to like have you take him out and make go through a physical exercise and all of a sudden his body was triggering uh what it was it needed to be released and it was like man you, dude i can just let go of this yeah you just let go of it and i i think that's where you know this kind of work is so important and i think if you were gonna leave the listeners with you know like two or three pieces of wisdom from all this work that you've done, Bob. I mean, over the years, you've seen thousands of people through this course. You've conducted the course. You've seen all kinds of stories. You've heard it all from childhood sexual abuse to people being raped to, you know, people probably, uh, you know, with guns and weapons and drugs and, you know, you name it, it's, it's been there. I mean, I don't think you could be somebody's there. What would you say that these people have taught you about how freedom has worked not only in your own life, but how it can work in their life as well. Yes, I love the way that you put that question. Because the reality is I didn't know what I knew when I realized, when I was able to kind of find freedom from it. And it was in the process of having to share with these other people that I kept having to challenge myself and go, what is it that I'm actually sharing? I'd say the first thing, this whole freedom is a skill, not a pill. If you can train yourself to be miserable on autopilot, then that means there's <laughs> nothing wrong with you. That yeah. means that your brain and body can can create a skill that powerful, which means you we just got to go to a different dojo, the dojo of delight instead of the the mats of misery or whatever you want to call it. I like it. your terminology. <laughs> yeah. And so so if you can be this miserable on autopilot, or, or in this much pain, like chronic pain, some of the stuff we worked with, then you can also be that happy on autopilot. It's the same machinery. You just got to train it in a different way. That's the first thing. So many people look at their mental and emotional struggles as there's something wrong with them when they're actually evidence that there is something very right with them. And I, I think that that's really, really profound. There's nothing wrong with you. Never has been. Nothing to fix. Just an experience to change if you want to change it. And I think most people, Bob, will say, you know, when you're moving into this state, you know, it's like, don't be reactive. Like if somebody triggers you, take a deep breath. We've heard this a zillion times, right? But you may have heard it a zillion times. The question is, are you actually practicing it? And I think as a reminder to everybody, if you look at all those small events in your life every day that can lead up to a huge amount of stress. How do you deal with those events each day using your breath, using body movement, using something to make you aware of the state you're transferring into from, right? Because you literally are transferring your body. I noticed it myself the other day. I was like, I was getting angry at almost everything. It was like nothing was going right. Have you ever had one of those days like, man, what's wrong here? What's wrong there? You know, something, you know, the can's not opening. It didn't matter what it was, you know, the brake on the bike wasn't right. I had to fix that, you know, all this kind of things. But those are signs and symbols 
yep. for people to be aware. And I think you get them all the time. And those signs and symbols are all around us if you're awake to them to get you to wake up to how you're actually treating yourself and others in your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Everything can be just a everything. If you look at everything as like just an indication of like, hey, this is what's going on with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, then I don't like that one. Let me change that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here, you you have a great program and I'd like you to kind of as we wrap up here, as I said, uh, these people, your students, the people that have come through your program have taught you a lot. Yeah. And I always say that people say, why do you keep doing this podcast show 17 years? Because it's my university. Mm-hmm. I learn more from the people out there than the people learn there. And so do my listeners. So that's why I keep doing it. You know, yeah. over a thousand episodes now hitting almost 1100. It's like, hey, I do it because it's educational and it's informing others at the same time. But even if there was no listeners and I was the only one interviewing, I'm learning more than I could ever learn from other people. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, a real gift to be able to have the honor to watch somebody show up without pretense, uh, without trying to hide anymore, because they've gotten to a place where they realize if I keep hiding, I'll stay the way I am. Mm-hmm. And to, to have them, it's, it, I mean, I almost want to call it sacred. It's, it's some of the most beautiful work I've ever been able to be witness to. And the fact that I get to be in this proximity with people and work with them one-on-one, um, there is something beautiful about every human being. And I, I don't see anything wrong with anybody that shows up. Uh, I, I look at them and if anything, it's a, every time is a confirmation that every person on the planet has this possibility. If they just are willing to challenge what they think is is possible for them and um so for the people listening you know that's where i would start challenge what you believe uh about what's possible and then like greg mentioned in the middle of a day if you want to you don't even have to take a deep breath just take a different breath so if you're like (laughs) and that's your breath and you want to go (laughs) and change it through your nose instead of your mouth changing it changes what your brain has to make of it. And if you're doing it consciously, sure, maybe a deep breath is useful. It does. There's a lot of research on a deep breath, but if it's a goofy breath, you'll also get goofiness in the middle of it. And that's something change your posture, change your, change the, the same, you know, do, if you change your body, you change your mind. Well, you know, there used to be a meditation practice in Tai Chi. I think it was before Tai Chi meditation. Uh, there's um where they would laugh and i always say to people you know we don't see a lot of laughter but you know when you hear the dalai lama speak and i've been a couple of times to hear him speak (laughs) yeah there isn't one time when you hear that man speak that he isn't giggling afterwards or he's, he's giggling he's just constantly giggling and i say to people you know what we need to lighten up a bit about ourselves who we are don't take it so seriously uh, life doesn't need to be that serious. And I think, you know, I've been a bit serious my life as well. But I am learning as I've gotten older that it's more important to laugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> la- laugh, at, laugh at anything that you can. I mean, I found you very entertaining this morning. So that's the best thing. And if I'm, if my listeners are listening, you know, if you're not going to breathe, then laugh. Laugh at it. You know, find something funny about it. There's 
there's a lot of things out there that are funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it the laughter and play, your brain actually learns faster in play than it does in your normal serious focused kind of like I got to do this. It takes yeah. like two repetitions to build a solid synapse that way, but in a state of play, it's like ten to twenty. So yeah. if you want to stack the deck in favor of you learning a new way of living really quickly and keeping all the wisdom from the past, but now having a new chapter open up, play more. <laughs> well, here's the book. Bob Gardner, thank you for being on Built for Freedom. Namaste to you, my friend. Thank you. This is, this is a book that can open up your mind and allow you to let go of many of the things that you've done. It's packed full, by the way. Um, but it's really great wisdom from Bob and all of the years he's been doing what he's been doing. And then I want to direct you all to, we'll put a link in there to the freedomspecialist.com. Uh, there you can find the, the blog. You can also find the podcast. You can find many of uh, the things that Bob teaches, his retreats. Uh, he also has a your one-time monthly donation, you can make a donation because got part of this, it's a nonprofit that he's running as well called Built for Freedom Foundation. And I want to encourage you to take a look at that. Also took a look at the Freedom Guides and the Stick Work Practitioner, uh, Amber and Daniel's videos. Those I think you'll find interesting. Uh, those are at the website as well. So Bob, it was a pleasure having you on this morning on Inside Personal Growth sharing your experiences personally and then the experiences that you've had by others that have taught you as well to re release these addictive patterns that we've created in our life and many of them are big addictive patterns and we don't even realize because it's like subconscious is just we're just running on autopilot and you say well why not run on autopilot being free versus running on autopilot feeling like you're trapped and this is a man that can help you get untrapped and be free. Thanks, Bob. No, it was my pleasure, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again. And have a wonderful day.